pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this evening. Uh, thank you uh, for bringing us safely together uh, to study your word. I pray that uh, you would teach us and instruct us, uh, that you would open our hearts and eyes and minds uh, and ears to uh, hear and see and understand uh, your word, uh, to understand uh, and know you and your son all the more, uh, to know you as the one true living God, uh, the creator of all things, uh, who is Lord of heaven and earth, and uh, you are uh, both the, the creator uh, and judge and, and savior uh, and king. And so uh, we thank you for these things and uh, pray that uh, our speech and all that we think and do would be honoring and glorifying to you uh, and uh, that you'd uh, build us up and uh, build up our uh, body uh, here and uh, over uh, all the earth, uh, that uh, your son's church would be uh, built up and established. And so we thank you for these things and bring his name. Amen. All right, so we're finally getting back to Genesis. Go ahead and open up to Genesis. It's been a while since we've uh, uh, been in here. And so we've already looked and, and covered a number of things. Uh, we've looked at, uh, well, as far as like Genesis as a whole, we've looked at authorship and the stru structure, the generation accounts, uh, the, uh, the purpose, uh, and then here for the creation account, uh, we're even looking at uh, some of the aspects of the genre and the, the days of creation. Uh, and so I'd like to uh, pick some of that up again uh, and touch on, uh, which we've already touched on a bit, uh, the, the structure and the purpose of the, the creation account uh, itself uh, and the, the primary message uh, that uh, the... Uh, Moses is uh, driving it. And so just even thinking about what we covered as far as uh, the, uh, the genre of Genesis. Now, a genre is just, it's a kind of writing. It's a, it's a classification of, there are all sorts of different kinds of writings, uh, different kinds of discourses that people write or have, uh, different kinds of uh, texts. Uh, and so... Uh, since I just got back from Omaha, I thought maybe I'd have you guys do some of the work. Uh, do you think of any, uh, some, of, some of the genres uh, that are in scripture? There are a whole lot of different kinds of uh, writings that all of the biblical authors uh, write. Do you think, name any? Poetry. Mm -hmm. I know, isn't prophecy, that's kind of its own yeah, genre, yeah, I think so. Even thinking of like with Revelation, where he even says like first and foremost that, that Eric was pointing to, that first and foremost, it's a book of, of prophecy. All scripture in some sense uh, is, is prophetic. It's written by prophets who make proclamation, uh, but a uh, lot of even sort of the forward uh, looking and, and the fulfillment of, of the promises. And where, where are some features of uh, poetry? 
Don't they usually try to keep like a certain number of lines and mm -hmm. maybe a somewhat of a rhythmic structure mm -hmm. to it? Mm -hmm. I know I sometimes gets a little loose on some of that. Mm -hmm. Do you think of uh, <clears throat> in the terms as far as a lot of times you'll have like one line and then the other will be synonymous or, or it'll be it'll be similar uh, to to the previous line. So a lot of times you'll have kind of couplets. You'll have two pairs at times. So parallelism, that's probably the central feature in uh, Hebrew Hebrew poetry. So that's that's where you're getting at. Yeah, I heard Bob talking when he was going through Galatians about synonymous parallelism mm -hmm. and then. Mm -hmm. The other type that's not synonymous. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Sometimes they might even say like antithetical yeah, and such. Yeah. And sometimes it's oversimplified a little bit because like synonymous uh, doesn't really mean absolutely identical. Uh, synonymy and identity are different relations. So if something's identical, uh, for instance, um, I... Just repeats uh, probably. Yeah. So I'm Adam Elaine. I uh, teacher. I, I teach at uh, teacher at uh, Gospel of Grace Fellowship. Uh, I'm the brother of Laura. I'm the son of Ruth. There are different ways I can refer to myself, uh, but all of those people that I refer to, same person, identical. Uh, but then, as far as like synonymy, like an extreme form of synonymy. Uh, uh, one linguist says uh, Ellen Cruz uh, hypothetically could be identical. There's a similarity there. Uh, but in general, the similarities are highlighted more than the differences uh, be, between the two. And so a lot of times with uh, lines of poetry, uh, it'll even sort of expand. Uh, Lamech uh, said to his wives, Ada and Zilah, hear my voice. Uh, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. And now, the reference are identical, uh, but there's a lot of times a little synonymy like in how they were uh, referred to. Uh, man who hurt them, who bruised them. Um, and then with poetry, a lot of times you can get a fair bit of, or a lot of times more rhyming, a lot of times certain like rhythm you're kind of talking about. Is assonance kind of a thing? Or was yeah. that back then yeah. or is that now yeah. more of a modern thing? Oh, no, they, they definitely use that. So like alliteration, uh, the consonants, uh, similar sounding consonants, uh, but uh, the uh, kind of harder sounds, uh, and then assonance with uh, similar sounding vowels. Uh, a lot of times the, one of the tricks in poetry is actually focusing on assonance. It's like the, uh, the alliteration, the, the consonants are a little bit easier sometimes. But uh, yeah, it also filled with uh, lots and lots of really heavy uh, sort of symbolic figurative language where you get that, you get that in all language, but especially heavily like in poetry. Uh, and do you think of any other genres, prophe prophecy, poetry? History. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can have different kinds of narrative. Historical narrative happens in space, time, history. It's not an account like Genesis or, or the Gospels. Um, God's the only one who writes an exhaustive history that covers all things. He's the author of all history. 
Uh, he determines all, all things uh, that happen from the very, very beginning. Uh, us finite humans, you know, we, we can only cover a little bit at a time. So <laughs> we have to be a little more selective. And, and God in communicating to us has to be a little more selective in what he choose to, uh, to preserve and uh, present. Uh, but the most salient, like important uh, things that he wants to convey to, uh, to his people so the historical narrative, but the, or story even, so long as you use story in the sense of a true story, uh, but then you can have figurative narrative, figurative stories, and even like parables. Uh, they're used, uh, Jesus, all, all of his parables uh, to, to convey, convey a message. And uh, you have letters, epistles, that a lot of times are more exhortational or hortatory. They, they want to convince the audience of something or to some action or some corrective um, uh, along the way of Paul addressing the Corinthians and all their questions. So would that still be a narrative then or would that be a different genre? Well, you can have narrative. A lot of times they'll even be blended. And so in Paul's epistles, if you think about Galatians, uh, like with the letter, you have even different parts of it. So you have... In his uh, introduction, a lot of times uh, it will introduce the uh, sender and the addressee that he's addressing. A lot of times there will be uh, a, like a blessing or a greeting along with that. And then they might uh, introduce or get into the, uh, the main point or kind of thesis or different aspects of the letter they're going to address. And then when you get to the end, you, you have a closing, uh, maybe kind of a benediction, uh, praising, glorifying God. Um, in Ephesians you even have it like at the end of like a major section but then within Galatians he also starts recounting because oh you foolish Galatians you know how quickly you're, you're leaving the gospel and so to support his argument he starts recounting a narrative of how he received the gospel straight from the Lord and so uh, his, his gospel uh, comes from Christ his gospel comes from God and so his apostolic gospel and authority is on the same level as uh, as the other apostles and yet they also affirm his gospel and say it's the same uh, so you recount you have narrative embedded within uh, within uh, the uh, the letter uh, itself and even some maybe some dialogue when he's going back and forth with uh, Peter so a lot of times you have dialogue like a narrative and uh, and even maybe a little uh, poetry in, in some of them and things like that. And so in the in Genesis, here we have it, it's set like in a narrative context and that's something that uh, John Salehammer really emphasized, uh, sort of the narrative structure of the, of the, the Pentateuch, the, the Torah, that a lot of times you talk about Torah, law, covenant, and so you think, oh, Torah, law is just, it's just a bunch of commandments. It's just a bunch of legal code. But, and yeah, there, there's kind of Torah proper, uh, narrowly, the covenant. He gave the Ten Commandments, the Tablets of Stone, the Book of the Covenant, which is like Exodus 20 through 23. Um, and a lot of Deuteronomy, you have a lot of that. But all of this is set within a narrative uh, framework. And so it starts... Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
and the earth was formless and void. It starts with God as creator going all the way back to the very beginning of things. Uh, where did the creation, the heavens and the earth come from? Uh, uh, the animals, humanity. Uh, how did uh, humanity, as we go into the generation accounts, uh, the generations of the heavens and the earth, now we're going to the, the first progeny of the heavens and the earth. God makes the man from the earth. He comes from, from the earth, uh, from, from God. God created him uh, and his spirit, uh, breathes into him the breath of life, but he takes him from the earth and woman comes from the man. Uh, and then uh, with Cain, I've got to a man with the help of the Lord. Now man comes from woman. Uh, Paul even refers to that in Corinthians. He's talking about like head coverings, saying that, you know, woman comes from man. And so there, there's a priority, there's an authority uh, there. But then he says, you know, but on the other hand, uh, man comes from woman. So, <laughs> um, and then you have the, uh, the offspring of the woman, uh, Abel, but Cain killed him, Seth, and uh, his son, uh, Enosh, uh, after him. And so you have the offspring of the woman, the offspring of the, the serpent, Cain. Um, and that keeps building. Now the generations of Adam. Now you're looking at uh, the line of uh, his progeny through Seth, uh, the offspring of the woman, God preserving uh, Noah and uh, his sons. Uh, and so you have this whole narrative, but then within the narrative, you have this, uh, this genealogy uh, that, that's tra traveling throughout and keeps parting and, and splitting along the way of uh, the nations. But you have this one line through Terah, Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob, uh, and God's going to bring blessing uh, to, uh, to all the nations to establish his presence, his provision, uh, his blessing, his rule uh, in, in all the earth uh, and to overcome sin and evil uh, through the offspring of the woman, Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, uh, and the, uh, the 12 sons uh, of Jacob, the, the 12 tribes and you see Judah plays a particular role in that in the Levites with the priesthood. Uh, and so within this, this narrative, which uh, can any of you think of what's the, what's the central question or thing that moves a narrative, a story forward? In, in time, in space, it's, it's the events. What happened? It's like that's, that's the central question. So when you're reading narrative, uh, and we start with Genesis, Genesis 1.1. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now next week, there, there are some technical issues. I usually don't like to get super into great detail into grammatical issues because they're usually overblown. There's some legitimate things to discuss here. It comes up an, uh, often enough uh, that there's some legitimate issues, but some of them are also overblown. And so we'll address some of those, Lord willing, uh, next week. But on the face of it, like how, how you, the translation here in the beginning, you have a context that's established in time, the beginning, in the beginning, and this context is established for the main point, the main clause that follows. God created the heavens and the earth. And so you, you have something that happens, and then you have all this 
he's setting up the, the context, uh, introducing, uh, introducing uh, the time in the beginning, introducing the participants, God. Uh, God is the main participant, uh, uh, the main agent uh, in, uh, in all of the Bible, uh, in the creation account, uh, in Genesis, uh, in all the generations, in the Torah, uh, the, the Pentateuch, the five books of, of Moses, uh, and, and through uh, Moses and the prophets and the writings, uh, and the, the Gospels and the Apostles, uh, and in Revelation. I mean, from beginning to end, a God is the main agent, the main participant uh, in uh, the events of, of history and creation. And so some say, you know, history is his story. Uh, and so Moses, I mean, he takes up four of these books, both like in all the teaching, all, all of the writing, uh, in, in all of those things, meter of the covenant, but then also in the very narrative of Exodus through Deuteronomy, four books he's in, which is kind of interesting, four gospels, but then Jesus is really kind, kind of the, uh, the, the star in front and center too of Acts as well, and, and really all the rest from beginning to end. I mean, he's, he's God, he's the creator. Uh, so he, he gets even more, more books like where he's uh, the central participant. Uh, the, the only one who's more central in uh, Exodus through Deuteronomy is God himself uh, than Moses. Uh, Moses is, uh, as far as human uh, actors go, he's central in this history, in this story, in this uh, narrative. But you get to the end, he dies. You go on to Joshua. Yeah, Moses is mentioned from time to time, you know. Uh, he's still important as the, the mediator uh, and how God used him. But, I mean, you, you go, Moses died. He didn't enter into the land. Uh, Joshua, uh, that whole generation dies uh, after them. You have all these judges that rise up and die and die and die. And David and Solomon and uh, Zadok and uh, Phinehas, I mean, on and on and on. God's, God is the one constant who's always there uh, with, his, uh, with his people. And so, anyway, in, uh, the central question in a narrative to ask is what happened? Because when you get to, you have the introduction of the time in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Introduction of the main agent, the main participant, and we'll see his spirit as well. Those are the only two sort of agents at work uh, in this uh, creation uh, narrative. But he'll, he'll dress like the man, the woman, uh, as he fills the creation, but they don't really act at this point. Uh, they will. Uh, you have introduction of uh, the entities, the heavens and the earth. And then turns the focus on, on the earth. The earth was without form and void, or barren and empty. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And now look at these lines and ask yourselves, what happened? The earth was without form and void? Did anything happen there? Just was. This is just the, the state of things. It's just characterizing the, the earth. The earth was without form and void. Um, and so the, nothing happens there, but it's background information for the events that follow. 
uh, for God acting uh, to, to take the earth uh, now and the, and the heavens and the earth and to bring them from incompletion to completion. Uh, and so this, uh, this uh, barrenness and emptiness, uh, God is going to uh, make uh, this uh, waste of an earth, not that it was destroyed or anything or sort of gap theory, uh, but it's just incomplete. It's kind of like a wet lump of clay that the potters put on, on the wheel. Pot's not done yet. Uh, and so uh, this introduces then a lot of times in a narrative when you come to like a new scene uh, and even at the longer term, you'll have sort of either a problem or an unresolved issue that needs to be resolved. And so here, uh, the, the earth was without form and void or, or barren and empty. And so it's not exactly a problem, but it, it's just, it's an unresolved issue uh, that the, the rest of uh, the events are going to uh, take care of. Uh, and that's even part of the very structure that we've spoken about of the first three days and the last three days of taking this, uh, this uh, barren nothingness uh, of an earth covered in the waters of the deep and the darkness. Uh, and uh, God is going to bring light into the darkness. Uh, he's going to uh, separate the waters below from the waters above uh, to make the, the skies. Uh, uh, in scripture, as Paul talks about, and, and you see elsewhere, he talks about like a third heaven. He went to the third heaven. There are even different layers as far as uh, heaven, sort of maybe the immediate sky uh, and then the abode of, of all the, the uh, stars. Uh, and then the third heaven uh, may be, uh, since he, he went up there, things unseen by man. You know, it sort of it, it transcends our, uh, our normal experience, what we normally uh, can see and have available to us just looking up uh, from the earth uh, at the, the heavens, uh, heavens above, brought into God's presence. And so uh, when some mock, although there, there are some astronauts who, who've gone up, who are even creationists and, and believers, uh, and so they don't mock, but you have some that, uh, you know, when, when NASA goes up there, they send a rocket up to the moon, hey, where's God? You know, where's, uh, where's, where's the angelic host? Well, Sounds like you only made it to the second heavens. <laughs> you have a ways to go. <laughs> um, and so, if only they, they knew the scriptures better. Uh, and so, this, this unresolved issue, God's going to resolve it. This incomplete uh, earth, he's, he's going to bring compl to completion. So it's no longer a barren uh, nothingness, uh, but he's going to make fruitful habitations uh, for his creatures uh, to live uh, into uh, to dwell in, uh, and so uh, you'll you'll have the recalls light where there was uh, where there was darkness of uh, the separation of the waters below uh, the the waters above on, on day two uh, names uh, names the expanse uh, or the the vault of of he uh, heaven uh, heavens uh, the sky uh, and. Then on day three, you have the separation of the uh, the waters uh, from the uh, from the land brings forth the dry land names it names it earth. Uh, in part, what we'll even see, some would point to uh, as far as the, and some of it may be general, but 
there's something significant about in the beginning. When's that? Well, it's the beginning of the creation account, but it's the beginning of it's the beginning of the whole section of the nations, the beginning of Genesis, the beginning of the Torah, the beginning of uh, of the the Tanakh, uh, the the scriptures uh, of all of all of history. Uh, God created the heavens uh, and the earth, and so in some ways you could have kind of a somewhat of a general statement introducing this, but you see it's at the beginning of this. When you get to the end, it's going to bring it to completion. And so then you have uh, someone maybe ask, well, God hasn't, he's later going to name heavens and name earth, so they're not there yet, but the earth was without form and void. And so in this sense of earth, it's it's a barren, empty, watery mass, you know, submerged in the waters of the, of the deep, but not in the sense of the dry land that he's going to, uh, to bring forth. So it's just not complete. He's going to bring the earth to its uh, completion, and then he'll name it, he'll name the dry land's earth. Uh, but you, you also have, we even recognize that, where you can look at the, uh, the, the earth, even if we just look at, we're not thinking about maybe the blue marble NASA with the, the, the image from the moon looking down, but just feet planted on it uh, and knowing uh, all of the bodies of water, uh, we also recognize dry land earth, but also earth underneath the oceans, uh, under, under lakes, under, under waters that's submerged. Uh, and so uh, without form and void and darkness over the face of the deep. Uh, and so then bringing in light, uh, the, uh, the heavens, separation of waters, day three, uh, the, uh, the earth, uh, separating the, uh, the earth, uh, bringing forth the dry land from the, uh, from the waters, uh, names the water seas uh, in the, uh, the dry land earth. Uh, and then God speaks a second time on day three. He only says, and God said twice on days three and six. Uh, usually, uh, in God said, introduces, introduces all the days, but only on three and six, you have it uh, twice. So it's part of this. We have kind of a parallelism but we might see kind of an inverted parallelism too uh, as you go from days three to four, uh, where then he begins to fill the earth, four through six, uh, the, uh, calling forth, uh, bringing forth the luminaries uh, in the, the heavens above, uh, also connected with light on day one, uh, in the fish and the birds, uh, in the, the seas below, waters below, waters above, but also on day three. So you have connection with these one and four, uh, but it's a little more complex. The luminaries are also in the heavens, day two. Uh, and then, so there's a progression through all the six days uh, and you have the connection days two and five with the uh, waters uh, below, the waters above, but the seas are also on day three and the fish are in the seas. So, uh, and birds fly over the earth. So it's, it's a little more complicated like in how, how it's structured, even though you have tight connections with days one and four uh, two and five and three and uh, six uh, along the way. Uh, and so then you have beasts, uh, the beasts on the earth, the land animals, uh, bringing forth of the dry land on day three. In uh, uh, man uh, who reigns over it all. In uh, man is the, the very pinnacle uh, of God's uh, creation. Uh, so you have these, just as far as the, 
structure, you have these six days, and you have the first three and the second three days, one through three, four through six. A man is the, the pinnacle of, this, uh, of the, the creation at this point, and he gives him a dominion unlike the, the rest of uh, yeah, the luminaries, he, he kind of says, have uh, uh, the greater light is given sort of uh, dominion over, over the day uh, and the lesser light over the night. <laughs> uh, but they're just luminaries to give light upon the earth uh, for all the animals, fish and birds, uh, man and beast. Um, and so anyway, that, that kind of goes in. Uh, a little bit, I guess we, I was going to make a sharper, sharper uh, uh, distinction, but just going from uh, the genre, historical narrative uh, in Genesis, uh, in the Torah, uh, to, to even this, uh, this structure in how it develops, first giving the setting in the beginning, in time, uh, establishing a context, introducing God, the heavens and the earth, unresolved issue, this background information uh, where we see the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. These are just states of affairs, background to understand what follows. Doesn't doesn't really tell us what happened or move the narrative uh, forward as far as the events in, in time but where God, verse 3, God said, let there be light. What happened? God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So you see, now it's moving forward with the events, telling us what happened along the way, bringing light where there was darkness, resolving, bringing partial resolution to that but he's also going to bring forth the, the luminaries uh, and so God's speaking uh, and there was light God saw that the light was good uh, and God separated now this follows his speaking of the light coming forth now this uh, separation this uh, distinguishing in this act of creation uh, light from darkness God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, naming, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. A day has ended. Now we go to the second day. And so uh, these elements of, uh, of narrative, you'll find uh, again and again, uh, we even spoke about some of the fancy ways they put it, is uh, narrative is agent-oriented. So you have an actor, someone who acts, and does things that tends to move things forward along the way throughout this uh, history uh, in, in this uh, narrative account of God creating. So he's the agent, uh, but then temp, uh, contingent temporal succession, I think Stephen Levinson put it, which just means that if events that follow, at least many of them, is in, in the narrative as a whole, as it moves forward, uh, they depend on what comes before events that come before. Uh, and so you can't have the creation of man without the creation of the heavens and the earth and making these fruitful uh, habitations, uh, which structure, God makes some days one through three, they structure the creation, but they also structure 
the narrative as it, as it unfolds, uh, and then filling them with the luminaries, fish and birds, uh, beast and man, culminating in uh, the seventh uh, day. And so, uh, even here, uh, Kenneth Matthews uh, talking about how uh, this, uh, this whole uh, section uh, is divided into seven units as far as seven days that take place over time. Uh, but then he goes on to say, uh, the arrangement of the passage consists of an introduction and seven paragraphs. So you'd already spoken about seven days. Uh, and you have that along with the, the introduction. But we see the first two verses uh, have a special purpose as far as setting the context, introducing God, the heavens and the earth, uh, and giving us some background, some unresolved issues. Uh, the earth was barren and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so they, they have their own uh, special uh, special function. Uh, but then it, it goes then uh, properly into the, the rest of creation, bringing the incomplete heavens and earth now to, to their completion along the way. So the arrangement of the passage consists of an introduction and seven paragraphs. Uh, the introduction identifies the creator and creation. Six paragraphs are carved up according to the six days or six creation days and the final paragraph uh, regards the climactic seventh day, uh, the day of consecration. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about the, uh, the ordering of each of the days of creation. We'll look at uh, more of that as we uh, go more uh, into to each of the, uh, the days. But we already saw things uh, such as uh, speaking, uh, seeing that it was so, what God spoke came to pass, or, or the, the action of it actually uh, happening. Uh, there was light, it was so. Uh, and even with uh, sometimes God's, uh, God's naming, God's blessing, uh, God's evaluation, God saw that it was good. Uh, sometimes separation in there as well. Um, uh, I have a chart that'll lay out kind of the, uh, the basic order that they follow, but then they're arranged differently on uh, some, of, some of the days. Uh, where, whereas uh, the first day, for instance, where right away uh, doesn't even give the action, God speaks, uh, let there be light. And there was light, which it uses some of the same language, it was so. In the rest of them, you have seven times it was so. But on this one, that there was light because juxtaposed at the end uh, of creation uh, you'll have God's final evaluation and God saw everything that he made and behold it was very good whereas on the rest of the days God saw that it was good but it's only when you get to the completion uh, and, and man and God's provision for them and God saw everything they made and behold it was very good and there is evening and morning the sixth uh, day. Uh, and he finally continues uh, and says, this pattern is not slavish. Uh, there is variation within the account, but this does not distract from the impression of the general pattern, namely that this creation is shaped by a supreme overseer. 
Yes, capital, capital R, overseer. <laughs> and so uh, that's just a little review of the genre, uh, historical narrative, but we'll see other things mixed into it. Uh, and then just even some of these, uh, the open introductory verses and the special role they play bound up with the creation account, with the seven days of creation, uh, we've seen it again and again that in six days, God made the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that are in them. Uh, and so you have all this within uh, six days and the seventh day of rest. Uh, but the, the opening uh, lines play a special uh, role as far as setting the context and time in the beginning, introducing God, the heavens and the earth, and then some information to understand some of the unresolved issues so we can understand uh, the narrative that follows that brings all of this to completion. And so, let's see, Matthews uh, then goes on to, uh, to say, uh, God sets about creating, uh, creating it uh, inhabitable, or in, inhabitable, something that can be <laughs> inhabited. So not, not uninhabitable, but uh, so it's about uh, creating it, uh, the, uh, the heavens and the earth, and focus uh, largely much of it on, on the earth, uh, creating it uh, inhabitable. inhabitable. Uh, that is no longer an unproductive uh, wasteland uh, and, and inhabited, no longer empty. So re resolving these issues of formless and void or, or barren uh, and and empty. Uh, God sets about creating it inhabitable and inhabited, no longer empty, in six creation days or two parallel sets of three days uh, each. Uh, and alternatively, a common schematic pattern for the six days has attempted to show the six days as changing uh, the formless and empty state of the earth. Uh, a lot of times that's pretty classic translation, and we'll look at some of those things, uh, uh, tohu and bohu. Uh, formless and uh, empty. Uh, the first three days give form to the earth through three separations. Uh, I'd say that that's bound up with part of it, uh, making it habitable. Reese sort of this, uh, un this uh, incomplete mass of an earth covered in, in the waters of the deep. And so separations will be part of that uh, in, in ordering it, but then also bringing forth the vegetation. Uh, they'll make it a, uh, the, the fruit bearing uh, vegetation and plants and trees uh, that, that will make it uh, inhabitable uh, for uh, the creatures that will uh, dwell there, giving them light, uh, the fish and the birds and uh, beast and man to whom he gives, gives man dominion, but he gives all of them, first to man, and then to the, uh, all of the animals, uh, all of the fruit-bearing plants uh, for, for food. So the first three days give form to the earth through three separations, and the second three days uh, resolve the problem of emptiness, filling the restructured universe uh, with heavenly bodies and life forms. So forming and, and filling, which is very... Uh, classic uh, translation, uh, and even if, you know, maybe we'll nuance that a 
a little more, a little differently, uh, captures a whole lot. I mean, it's right, right in the ballpark. And so he also shows uh, just even how the unproductive becomes uh, productive and the uninhabited becomes inhabited uh, in just even the days uh, where you have them. Yeah, it's kind of linear as far as days one through six through seven. So through time, you, you keep moving. Uh, but uh, you have them set uh, kind of in uh, parallel together. Uh, some put it this way or sometimes kind of, kind of this way, uh, parallel moving along with days one and four and two and five and uh, three and six. Uh, which God speaks twice, and then you have the uh, the vegetation uh, that's that's given in uh, the capstone. Then, as far as the six days creation of man, where we'll even see that a lot of these themes of, of seven and completion begin as things begin to be completed more, uh, and, and you have the last like mentions of all the things that God creates and last time God speaks and uh, to create, last time he, he said explicitly to create and all of these things. And so man uh, is the pinnacle of the first six days uh, that without, uh, I mean, giving him dominion over all the earth and all the, all the beasts of the earth uh, into, uh, to establish uh, God's uh, dominion, uh, his uh, his uh, blessing, his provision, his rule, uh, I mean, his presence even manifested through all the earth uh, as his uh, image bearers uh, take dominion over the earth and, and rule uh, benevolently as God's uh, stewards, as his, uh, his under-shepherds, as his uh, vice-regents, not co-regents, not co-kings, but vice on, on behalf of God. Uh, and we'll even see things thrown off as far as with man. Uh, and, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. It's, it's the one time, there, there's something especially personal uh, about that. Uh, nowhere else does he say, let us make man. He doesn't say, let us make the, make the birds. Or uh, there, There's something personal that, that throws off the repetition that you see uh, along the way to draw attention that uh, th this is particularly important. Uh, only of man is it said uh, that he's created, let us make man in our image uh, after our likeness. And in fact, even look at with uh, day six, uh, verse 26. Uh, then God said, let us, so after all these times where God spoke, let, you know, let there be, um, uh, let, let the earth bring forth, uh, all of these things. Uh, verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You have all, the, all this repetition. 
doesn't just stop at, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created. <laughs> well, you just told us that. Why, why, why did you say that again? To drive it home. Uh, this is particularly important. Uh, if, if you miss this, you don't understand creation. You don't, you don't understand uh, the preceding days. You're not going to understand what, what follows. Uh, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then he provides them with all of the vegetation and to the animals. And it was so, verse 31, and God saw everything that he made, had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So the, the patterns are, are uh thrown off. And I think a lot of times the evaluation uh, comes uh, earlier on. Uh, but here it comes right at the very end. It, it's saved for the very end. Uh, and so at, at, the be, at the beginning on day one, uh, and, God, uh, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. So what God spoke came to pass, and God saw that it was good. Right out of the way, like right, right out of the gate. Uh, but then on the last day, it reserves, God's evaluation comes at the very end as sort of a capstone. So you kind of have this uh, uh, framing uh, of the, the whole, whole narrative and God's uh, good uh, creation uh, and juxtapose. And it was so, and God saw everything they made, and behold, it was very good. Uh, but the, the other days, the, the order will be slightly uh, different. Uh, and so then uh, uh, the, the sixth day is, is uh, man is the pinnacle, man is the culmination. But the seventh day is the capstone uh, to everything. When now God's work on the previous six days is complete. And so now he rests, he ceases uh, from his labor he blesses, he sanctifies uh, the, the seventh day. Uh, he blesses the, the fish and the birds. Uh, he blesses uh, man uh, and he ble blesses and sanctifies the seventh day, which commemorates uh, his, the completion of his work in the preceding uh, six days. Uh, and we'll even see, some things might tweak, uh, but you even seem to have as far as uh, heavens and heavens and expanse, uh, 21, earth 21, 42, six times seven together, the heavens and the earth, which connects back with the very, very intro in the beginning, God made the, uh, the heavens and the earth. Uh, you, have, uh, you have like a seven for each of the six days, which is brought to, to completion. And so you have these themes uh, throughout and seventh day is repeated, uh, seventh day, uh, three times uh, is, a, is a full noun phrase, seventh day uh, for 21, but another two times, it, it. God blessed it and he sanctified uh, it um, for 35. And God's, uh, God's name, Elohim, uh, God, appears 35 times. And you even have uh, uh, basically 35 words uh, at the end. And so it's 
So all these themes, they're, they're layered uh, throughout to, to commemorate God's completed, finished work of creation. And so even if you don't uh, see all of the sevens, but there's seven days and <laughs> seven times it was so, and seven times God says it was good, and uh, all, all of these things uh, along the way, seven days, seven reports, it was so, seven evaluations, God saw that it was good, uh, seventh day, uh, and some of, some of the other themes with that, it's all just part of the, the, the idea of completion, fullness, uh, uh, bringing the creation to its fullness. So here's, uh, I'll have to see, I, I might flesh this out even a little more uh, in some later notes, uh, but here's uh, an attempt uh, to, to capture uh, sort of the, the primary theme or a lot of what's uh, found here in uh in creation. So this is a little of a mouthful, so brace yourself. Uh, God, the eternal, uncreated creator and universal sovereign, in the span of six days, sovereignly creates all things very good, including the heavens, the earth, the seas, and everything in them, for the provision, blessing, and dominion of mankind created according to his image, and for the provision and blessing of the rest of his creation to the praise of his glory. Uh, the seventh day commemorates the completion of his all-encompassing, very good work of a creation. Uh, and there you, you could even add with the provision and blessing, uh, God's presence, his provision, uh, his blessing, his rule. Uh, the, these are dominant themes, uh, theological, biblical truths uh, throughout all of scripture uh, understanding of uh, the establishment of God's uh, kingdom, uh, his presence, provision, blessing, and rule over all the earth. Uh, and so Matthew hi highlights a number of things uh, just as far as uh, seed offspring, uh, land, uh, seed offspring, uh, land, uh, and maybe dominion along with that. Uh, but you also have some other elements bound up with that uh, in provision. You'll see like with the, the trees, uh, provision, well, the fruit-bearing plants and trees, so provision of sustenance, food, uh, provision of beauty, those that were a delight to the eyes, uh, even life, tree of life, and wisdom, which comes not from rebelling against God and eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but from hearing and believing God's word. Uh, fear, fearing Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs even talks about, I think even Tree of Life, talks about life and wisdom and uh, draws on a lot, lot of these things in the early chapters where you can't understand the later chapters of Proverbs unless you understand <laughs> uh, the beginning chapters which lay out what wisdom truly, uh, truly is. And so it's not, yeah, you do, you do have advice, um, oh sluggard, go look at the ant. <laughs> learn, learn from learn from the ant. But if you don't understand the fear of Yahweh, forget the ant. <laughs> it's not going to do you any good. Uh, you know, you could just give some moral aphorisms. Uh, um, you know, biblical wisdom for or ancient wisdom for modern times. Uh, learn from the ant. You know, well, if you don't teach the fear of Yahweh uh, and being reconciled to Him as a sinner, uh, you're not going to learn much from the ant. You know, you don't, you don't have God's spirit. You don't have his redemption. You don't have his forgiveness. Uh, that 
uh, empowers uh, and will, will bring about eternal life and resurrection life and uh, enter into the kingdom. Why, why, why be good? Why, why, <laughs> you know, why, why should we obey God? Uh, uh, so anyway, uh, so here, I mean, God is the one true living creator God. Uh, that's the very heart of scripture uh, for, for understanding all of it. Uh, his creation, uh, his kingdom, his presence, provision, blessing, uh, and, and rule. Uh, and so, uh, for, for the Israelites uh, to, to receive, to understand these truths, uh, would establish uh, everything for understanding who God is, who he, what man is, humanity, mankind, uh, understanding Israel, uh, the, the nations around them, uh, the animals, uh, seen and unseen, uh, creation, uh, true, true worship, uh, it established everything for their lives. Uh, and even uh, their own Sabbath day uh, that God establishes in, in the covenant uh, according to the pattern of creation uh, then, which was constant reminder of God's presence with them, his provision for them uh, so they could rest. He provided for them. They, they work, God worked, but God rested. You know, he, he ceased not because he was tired, but he was, he was finished as far as, as far as the creation is uh, completed and very good, but man still has to be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion over it. Um, so uh, there, there aren't many gods uh, as far as, yeah, they're spirit-created beings. Uh, they're sometimes called gods or Elohim or angels or demons. Uh, but... Uh, as far as the one true living creator God, uh, Yahweh and Yahweh alone uh, is, is the one true living uh, creator God. And so we'll have to touch on some of this uh, next week, uh, but we could look at, we, we've even looked at a number of the poems like in uh, Genesis well, 40, 49, uh, Exodus 15, so Jacob's blessing, uh, the song as they come out of the Exodus. Uh, you have uh, Balaam's blessings, uh, where God makes the false prophet bless the people. Numbers 23, 24. Uh, Moses' blessing. And you have a song before that, Deuteronomy 32, 33, uh, that look to God's rule, his presence, his provision, his blessing, his rule. Uh, uh, the, the 12 tribes, the nations, all, all the earth, uh, but ultimately looking to Yahweh as, uh, as king uh, and ruling uh, over uh, overall, so we, we could look to, to many places, uh, and even uh, his establishment of his people. Here I'll read from Exodus nineteen verses three through six, and then we'll go to Deuteronomy four. So, while Moses went up to God, so they're, they're at Sinai, uh, Yahweh called to him out of the mountain, saying, verse three. Uh, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, 
You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. All the, for all the earth uh, is mine. You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. He first redeemed his people. Uh, and now he speaks about obeying his commandments and such. But he's already redeemed them. He's already brought them out. He promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would. And there's been uh, talk of his commandments like, as they go into the wilderness and such along the way. Uh, but, uh, and even kind of an institution of they start keeping the Sabbath. But here now it will become part of the, uh, part of the covenant uh, here. But you already see God's grace and the redemption of his people. And he says, I am Yahweh, your healer. Uh, talking about like the, the rivers where they're bitter and complaining. Uh, I am Yahweh, your healer. Uh, and you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So centrally, Israel is to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation ministering on behalf of Yahweh to all the peoples, all the nations. Yeah, he'll institute a high priest and uh, you see Moses as mediator and Aaron the high priest and uh, the, the priests and the Levites, sons of Aaron uh, and uh, Eliezer and Phinehas. He'll make his covenant, his priestly everlasting covenant in numbers of Phinehas, Eliezer's son. But the whole nation was to be a kingdom of priests and a holy, holy nation. They're even reminded in numbers when they make uh, they're to wear tassels on their garment, kind of like the, the priests, as a reminder uh, before God. And then Deuteronomy 4, verses 37 through 40. And some of, you have some of these, uh, the main themes as it goes into the covenant, establishing the narrative, God's redemption of them, the 40 years in the wilderness, bringing them through, setting all this context uh, as part of sort of the, the preamble, the prologue, uh, to the, the covenant that he makes with the a generation that comes out 40 years later. We have kind of a continuation, maybe covenant renewal, but there's also a certain newness. There, there are certain laws that weren't there um, as far as before they went into the, the wilderness the first time. Uh, now after learning uh, the, the lesson of the 40 years in the wilderness and God about to bring them in the land. Verse 37 Chapter 4. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence. Just one more time. So listen closely. And because, so you have a reason, kind of setting the context for what follows. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore, because of all this, God's promises and deliverance, know therefore today and lay it to heart that Yahweh is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall Keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you for all time. 
And so you see God's grace and deliverance that establishes now uh, the uh, obedient, uh, loving, uh, uh, believing, fearful response uh, to obey God. Uh, it's God's grace that sets the context uh, for, uh, for obedience to him. And as him, as know therefore today and lay it to heart that Yahweh is God in heaven above and on earth beneath, there is no other. Uh, and again and again, you, you see that uh, Deuteronomy uh, uh, 10, uh, verse 12 and on, uh, throughout uh, all of Deuteronomy to the very end in the poems of it, that God reigns. He's the creator of heavens and the earth. He possesses them. Uh, even to Re- Revelation, uh, speaks about God making uh, the heavens and all that are in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the, the seas and all that are in them. In the heavens above, on the earth beneath, above the earth, below the earth, uh, God is creator and ruler uh, over all. And uh, that'll be even important to, uh, we'll see how some try to use some of the beginning verses in Genesis, uh, where there's some debate about the exact meaning translation. And some of the more skeptical will try to use it to say, well, Look, it starts with the pre-existent earth and uh, waters of, of the deep. Uh, and so uh, it's just like the pagan myths. And you, you just have pre-existent matter. And, uh, and <laughs> uh, some are a little more careful uh, than that. But uh, we'll address uh, some, some of those issues, uh, Lord willing, uh, next time. So let's just uh, close with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for uh, teaching us, instructing us uh, through uh, your scriptures, through uh, the words of of Moses and uh, your holy uh, prophets and apostles and uh, your son through whom you've spoken uh, finally and and authoritatively. Uh, uh, We're grateful for these things. Uh, We're grateful uh, that Uh, We can come to know you through your Son, uh, by your Spirit, uh, through uh, understanding uh, the good news of your word, his death, burial, and resurrection uh, on the behalf of sinners, his people, uh, that we might have the the forgiveness of sins. Uh, He he bore our sin, uh, our griefs, uh, that uh, we might become adopted uh, sons and daughters uh, of you, the Most High. And so we thank you for these things and pray that uh, they be encouragement that we receive and believe these truths uh, and that uh, we would be equipped to uh, go forth and make disciples. And so uh, we pray that you'd bring us back together, uh, Lord willing, uh, this Sunday and uh, next Wednesday as well, uh, if the uh, Lord tarries. And so Uh, We pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd come quickly and that uh, we'd set our eyes uh, on you and uh, your promises and the promises of your Father. Uh, Amen.